Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So we are reading from the beginning, excuse me, of chapter 10 in the sixth canto. And we probably will cover a good part of two chapters today, likely. Oma Jnana Timurandasya Jnana Jnana Shalakaya Chakshura Militam Yena Tazmai Shri Gurave Namaha Okay, so you got your seatbelts on. We're going to start the battle between the demigods and Britra Sura. So Sukadeva Goswami begins this chapter, chapter 10. And he says that after instructing Indra in this way, the Supreme Personality of Godhead Hari, the cause of the cosmic manifestation, then and there disappeared from the presence of the onlooking demigods. The on- demigods see uh, the Lord leaving the place. O King Parikshit, following the Lord's instructions, the demigods approached Vadichi, the son of Atarva. He was very liberal, and when they begged him to give them his body, he at once partially agreed. However, just to hear religious instructions from them, he smiled and jokingly spoke as follows. <laughs> oh, elevated demigods, at the time of death, severe, unbearable pain takes away the consciousness of all living entities who have accepted material bodies. Don't you know about this pain? You know, you're asking me to, to die, you know, so that you can defeat Fritrasura. Don't you know what problems it causes? In this material world, every living entity is very much addicted to his material body. Struggling to keep his body forever, everyone tries to protect it by all means, even at the sacrifice of all his possessions. Therefore, who would be prepared to deliver his body for anyone, even if it were demanded by Lord Vishnu? By Lord Vishnu, The demigods reply, O oh, exalted Brahmana, pious persons like you, whose activities are praiseworthy, are very kind and affectionate to people in general. What can't such pious souls give for the benefit of others? They can give everything, including their bodies. So kind of uh, (laughs) encouraging him that you're a great soul, you could do this for us. Those who are too self-interested beg something from others, not knowing of others' pain. But if the beggar knew the difficulty of the giver, he would not ask for anything. Similarly, he who is able to give charity does not know the beggar's difficulty, or otherwise he would not refuse to give the beggar anything he might want as charity. So you see the kind of subtle uh, encouragement he's giving here, right? That, you know, you don't understand the, the problem that we're in. So, you know, please do not hesitate and give, give your charity. Okay, so we're going up to eight. So, um, okay, so then text seven. The great sage Hatichi said, just to hear from you about religious principles. So he kind of tested them, right? I refuse to offer my body at your request. Now, although my body is extremely dear to me, I must give it up for your better purposes, since I know that it will leave me today or tomorrow. O demigods, one who has no compassion for humanity 
in its suffering and does not sacrifice his impermanent body for the higher causes of religious principles or eternal glory is certainly pitied even by the immovable beings. And at the end of the purport, the last paragraph, Prabhupada writes, similarly, everyone else with a materially comfortable condition in this world should join the Krishna conscious movement to elevate the fallen souls. The words, Bhuta Dayaya Maya Mrigam Dayita Yep Sitam and Dina Ganeshakao Kurunaya all convey the same sense. These are very significant words for those interested in elevating human society to a proper understanding of life. One should join the Krishna conscious movement following the example of such great personalities as Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the six Goswamis, and before them, the great sage Tatichi. Instead of wasting one's life for temporary bodily comforts, one should always be prepared to give up one's life for better causes. After all, the body will be destroyed. Therefore, one should sacrifice it for the glory of distributing religious principles throughout the world. So I thought I, I picked up on this one short phrase, one should always be prepared to give up one's life for better, to, meaning to dedicate oneself to a higher cause. So it's prepared means, you know, when something in our life happens, then we, you know, we're prepared for it. It doesn't mean we have to go out of our way, perhaps, you know, go out of our way to seek austerities, you know, to go out of our way to put ourselves in dangerous situations, to go out of our way to dedicate ourselves to this or that. But if that hap- if it comes upon us as, uh, uh, you know, in, in devotional service and bhakti, we're ready to dedicate ourselves in that way without consideration of the pleasure or pain that it may cause us. Like Dhruva Maharaj, he was prepared to go to the forest once he heard from his mother that it was a, it was a wise thing to do. He didn't, he wouldn't have just gone to the forest and perform austerities for, for naught, for no reason at all. But he had a desire, you know, he, he was prepared to do whatever it took to get, to get God's acknowledgement. Prabhupada was prepared to go on the Jaladuta. You know, if someone would have given him a first class ticket to, uh, to, you know, New York, he would have happily, well, happily, he would have accepted that. But he was prepared to do whatever it took to get to, to get to America, right? So I thought that was a, that was a key word to be prepared. Isn't that the, the, of course, they've, they've developed some infamy recently, but isn't that one of the Boy Scout sayings or something like that about being prepared? Yes, be, be prepared was their motto. And, um, you know, I, I was thinking about it in my own life. You know, I feel, you know, that um, somehow or other I was prepared for this pandemic lockdown. You know, I did, that a lot of things that I accidentally did or somehow did prepared me and I, you know, I'm getting through it better than a lot of people. Hmm. Okay, good. Well, that, that's interesting. Yes. Right. Well, if we were prepared, so preparation, let's use that example as mentioned in this verse about being prepared. So to be prepared for the lockdown, I guess there could be some very practical things, you know, like 
whatever, one has a, a uh, Instacart account or something like that if they don't want to go shopping. Uh, be prepared mentally. Be prepared spiritually. Um, be prepared physically, you know, finding a ways to get exercise, even you know, especially at the beginning of the pandemic when we were pretty much afraid to do anything, right? <laughs> Go out. So yes, one, so one, if one was conscious of one's health, conscious of one's Krishna consciousness, conscious, conscious of one's mental, uh, health, emotional health, uh, prior to February or March, then yeah, that's a good example, actually. Then they may have sailed through the last uh, 10 months or whatever it is, or nine months better than others. So we're prepared to, for example, carry out the instructions of the spiritual master. Um, and that could be at what is, what is the, uh, the first book in the Lilamrita series? What is it called? Um, a lifetime in preparation. Yes, a lifetime in preparation. So. Prabhupada was preparing. Very good, Henry. Uh, you get a gold star. Uh, you, get, you get a piece of Sandesh next time the temple's open. <laughs> so some thoughts on this about being prepared. Um, hi, Krishna Prabhu. Yes, Shakti. Uh, that is so wonderful that uh, you said being prepared is good. Uh, I do have some questions. So they were like the real-time um, devotees, like when Prabhupada is there, he instructed devotees to go and start temples in, you know, all across the world. And people were ready and jumping and getting, and went and did the temple, right. build the temples. Right. Uh, it, to my consciousness, uh, that is that instruction will come directly to me or like, uh, is it, how, how does, no, I'm, I'm, re I'm really, because, I am so uh, mundane that like last week when this COVID thing happened, uh, Ishkan, like, you know, a DC group was saying that like, we need some volunteers to go get milk from Githanagri and I couldn't go. I have a lot of excuses that I couldn't go, <laughs> you know, so it's a group, but like, I really don't know what I'm doing is correct consciously. That is, uh, I really want to serve, but like I couldn't serve. And is this instruction should come directly from the spiritual master or how really things works? Well, um, yeah, sometimes devotees lament uh, even now and especially in Prabhupada's time that, well, I didn't get any direct instruction from Prabhupada. Um, and one of the reasons we're having this course is that we're, we're getting direct instructions from, from previous Acharyas, from Srila Prabhupada, from Narada Muni, from Vyasadeva, from Sukadeva Goswami, from Sutta Goswami. Um, we're getting, you know, they may not, they may, there may be general instructions on one level, right? They're not like, uh, Shakshi Gopal, uh, I want you to, uh, open up a temple in Manassas, you know, <laughs> they may not be, uh, on that level, right? But we do have a general idea of what we are, um, are meant to, to do in Krishna consciousness. And if one does get a very particular instruction and it can come, it can come in many ways. Of course, you, you mentioned the most obvious way, you know, getting the instructions from one spiritual master, Shiksha Guru or Diksha Guru. But it might come in, in, in so many ways that Krishna may arrange, right? Just like Srila Prabhupada was told that he met that one man who told him, well, you know, people read magazines, but they throw them away afterwards. But, you know, books are much more substantial. And, and so, you know, that 
he got or that he was told by a doctor to to take vigorous walks. And so right away, he took that as Krishna's instructing him through this, you know, person who may or may not have been a devotee. And he started taking morning walks, right? So it may cut that, you know, the different directions that we get in life, they may come this way or that way. And sometimes in my case, I just saw a need in the society and I just kind of went for it in terms of conflict resolution. And just, uh, I mean, I got the blessings of senior devotees before starting it, but I, I kind of just create, made, created my own services <laughs> in that sense. So it can come in different ways. And, and then that, therefore, the idea of being prepared is is such a nice concept, right? Because if it can come in different ways, first of all, we're prepared to see how does Krishna acting in my life? And then we're prepared to try to carry it out. Now, you know, the example you gave, you, you, you might've been prepared to do that, but you, you know, it wasn't practical, right? And luckily uh, Krishna Patel Prabhu was free and he, uh, he did that service. Is that all right, Shakshi Prabhu? Thank you, Prabhu. Thank you. Okay. Andy, you were going to say something it looked like? Yeah, uh, my experience, when I was about 39 years old, it just... You mean like last me. year? Yeah, yeah, just last year. <laughs> it came to me that I didn't want to eat animals. It just came to me, out of no instruction or anything. And I was actually smoking cigarettes at that time. So for a year, I was a smoking vegetarian, <laughs> which is kind of rare. And then I quit smoking. But... Then many years later, I went to Chicago. I, I was uh, in the lobby. I saw this orange book. I said, oh, Bhagavad Gita, as, as it is. That looks interesting. And then pulled me in. And then when I went to the temple, I saw they were very vegetarian, and it was a match right away. So it, it made it like easy to latch on. So I wondered how it would have done different if I was just like with my same old regular habits and wasn't prepared by happening to be vegetarian. Interesting. Very interesting. Yes, that might be. Uh, you went to the temple and got the book, or you got the book somewhere else? No, I was in Chicago. At, at the Chicago temple? or No, just sitting in a hotel. Oh. And actually, the funny thing was, um, this is kind of funny. It was an Indian guy that was running the hotel, right? Right. And I, and I said, you know, uh, I found this book in the lobby. Are we allowed to take these? He said, oh, I have nothing to do with those books. So he didn't want to be like he was pushing some kind of Indian thing, right? Oh, any kind of book can appear in there. Right? It's, it's, you know, just we don't control it, right? <laughs> so I took it home with me. So uh, Obviously, he did have it put there, but yeah. Were, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but That's very interesting. Me. It was like just sitting there or they were, it was there for, you know, like, please. No, they had a, a take one, give one shelf, you know, like kind of a lending oh. shelf. So you, you could take anything out of there and just take it home if you liked it or put oh, it back oh, or okay. And that's what they had. And just the color attracted me. I said, oh, that's interesting color book. And Yeah, well, it might be that there was a preparation there by becoming a vegetarian ahead of time. Sure. I think so, because it definitely matched. And now I, I couldn't have a spiritual practice in a place where they were big on eating meat, because it just wouldn't right. work. Whatever else they had going, yeah. Yeah, if you had been a carnivore at the time and you went to the temple and like, hey, man, where's the beef, you know? yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was prepared without knowing it, but I think we don't know how karma works. It's kind of mysterious, but 
Right. The same karma can be treated different ways depending on whether you're prepared or not. Right. Yep. Very good. Other thoughts on preparation? It's funny. We sometimes call like food a prep or a preparation. Oh, have you had the, uh, the uh, potato prep or the potato preparation? Yeah. And if you don't have the right tools in your house, you can't prepare it as well. But if you have gotten these things like sieves or whatever, and then you say, oh, now I can use it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. Yes. Speaking of the right tools in your house, I was just thinking about my bookshelf. And um, my goodness, you know, um, I, books that I never thought I'd get around to reading all of a sudden, you know, become so important to me during the lockdown. Right. And I'm just so happy to have a bookshelf of incredible Vaishnav books. Uh, great preparation. Very nice. Okay. Anyone else on preparation? It's just, uh, it's so interesting. We could just take one word. Uh, and talk about it for a while. Instead of wasting life for temporary bodily comforts, one should always be prepared to give up one's life for better causes. And, you know, that doesn't mean, we, you know, we go out and seek a way to die, but it can also mean dedicating one's life, right? You know, um, yeah. Okay, so then let's go on to the next, uh, and actually the very next verse, text nine. If one is unhappy to see the distress of other living beings and happy to see their happiness, his religious principles are appreciated as imperishable by exalted persons who are considered pious and benevolent. And the after the third line in the third sentence in the purport, everyone should be unhappy to see others in distress and happy to see others happy. Atmavan sarva shu. One should feel the happiness and distress of others as his own. It is on this basis that Buddhist religious principle, that the Buddhist religious principle of nonviolence, ahimsa paramadharma, is established. We feel pain when someone disturbs us, and therefore we should not inflict pain upon other living beings. Lord Buddha's mission was to stop unnecessarily, unnecessary animal killing and therefore he preached that the greatest religious principle is nonviolence. And then a little further down, unfortunately at the present moment, so-called philanthropists and humanitarians advocate the happiness of humanity at the cost of the lives of poor animals. That is not recommended herein. This verse clearly says that one should be compassionate to all living entities, regardless of whether human, animal, tree, or plant. All living entities are sons of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So there's a lot to unpack there. Um, one is about the, the need for empathy. Prabhupada pretty much defines the word empathy here, right? Um, when he says, we should feel pain. Oh, no. It is... Uh, one should feel the happiness and distress of others as his own. So compassion is, is such an important principle in Vaishnavism. And it's based, first of all, on knowledge, right? Because, you know, the only way you can, you know, and, and, and knowledge and samadarshana, seeing everyone as, uh, as part of Krishna, uh, whether, as Prabhupada says here, whether they're an animal or a plant or a human being or a demigod for that matter. 
Um, and so, so the first part is compassion is based on knowledge of the soul, but it's a, it's more than that. It's based on the fact that everyone has a connection to Krishna. And so compassion is not a cheap sentiment. It, it is something to work on. It's something to develop. And it, it's something that manif- that manifests more and more uh, in, as we become more mature at, in, in devotional service. It's actually a very deep spiritual emotion. We can kind of, um, you know, fake it till we make it. Um, and that's good. You know, we, we, we should act, we should talk about compassion and act with it until it becomes more of a deeper thing in our heart. And at the same time, we have to be careful about what is not compassion, right? You remember in the fifth canto, studying the story of Bharat Maharaj, right? And he was a lot, you know, he, he had compassion for that deer, but he let it become not, um, not based on knowledge anymore. And it wasn't just spiritual anymore. And, you know, he developed kind of a feeling of, you know, you can even, develop a feeling of being like a savior of other people. And that can be, that can tinge our, the purity of our compassion. In the 13th chapter of the first canto, you know, Yudhisthira is lamenting that, where did Gandhari and Dhritarashtra go? You know, I went to pay my obeisances to them today in the morning and they were gone. They've cheated me. How are they going to live without my, basically without my taking care of them? Um, or Bart Marsh the same way towards the deer. And he lost, you know, Bart, and what Bart Maharaj did was basically, as we know, he, he, he let his, uh, Krishna consciousness go. He, he let his compassion, which was, became material, interrupt his spiritual practices. Hmm. Prabhupada writes in um, the fifth canto in the eighth chapter, when a person is advanced in spiritual consciousness or Krishna consciousness, he naturally becomes very sympathetic toward all living entities suffering in the material world. Naturally, such an advanced person thinks of the suffering of the people in general. However, if one does not know of the material sufferings of fallen souls, and becomes sympathetic because of bodily comforts, as in the case of Bharat Maharaj, such com- sympathy or compassion is the cause of one's downfall. If one is actually sympathetic to fallen suffering humanity, he should try to elevate people from material consciousness to spiritual consciousness. As far as the deer was concerned, Bharat Maharaj became very sympathetic, but he forgot that it was impossible for him to elevate the deer to spiritual consciousness, because after all, a deer is but an animal. Of course, we can give the deer prasadam and things like that. <clears throat> it was very dangerous for Bart Maharaj to sacrifice all his regulated principles simply to take care of an animal. The principles enunciated in Bhagavad Gita should be followed. Yamhina yata yant yete purusham purushar sabha. As far as the material body is concerned, we cannot do anything for anyone. However, by the grace of Krishna, we, we may raise a person to spiritual consciousness. Okay, so that was from the fifth canto about the Bharat Maharaj pastime. And the very next, I'll just read a little bit of the next purport in that fifth canto. Maya is very strong. 
In the name of philanthropy, altruism, and communism, people are feeling compassion for suffering humanity throughout the world. Philanthropists and altruists do not realize that it is impossible to prove one's, uh, improve people's material conditions. Material conditions are already established by the superior administration, according to one's karma. They cannot be changed. The only benefit we can render to suffering beings is to try to raise them to spiritual consciousness. And finally, one last point um, from the Adi Lila. The sort, this sort of serious interest in the welfare of the public makes one a bona fide Acharya. And the Acharya does not exploit his followers. Such an Acharya is a confidential servant of the Lord. His heart is always full of compassion for humanity in its suffering. He knows that all suffering is due to the absence of devotional service to the Lord. And therefore, he always tries to find ways to change people's activities, making them favorable to the attainment of devotion. So, so Lord Buddha, you know, an incarnation of, uh, you know, he brought it down to a very practical level. He's an incarnation of Krishna. Why did he, he appear? To show compassion to animals, right? You know, it was, it was so important, this taking care of all living entities and not giving them unnecessary pain that Lord, that Krishna incarnates as Lord Buddha to um, teach us that and to expose the hypocrisy uh, at that time, especially of people in the name of religiosity performing sacrifices of animals. And in the Mahabharata, it says that um, we should cause the least harm. That's a definition of ahimsa. And Krishna says in the Mahabharata that of all dharmas or good activities, um, this is the highest, ahimsa. So I said a lot. I wrote, read a lot of purports. Your thoughts or comments on real compassion? So the conclusion is we can't expect to see the world that much different. So it's all like kind of hidden, our compassion. Because you said we can't change the uh, state of uh, groups of people or whatever. Well, okay. Well, you know, yes. Well, the Prabhupada there is acknowledging that people have karma, right? And he's kind of um, kind of almost paraphrasing Prahlad Maharaj, who was saying, you know, people's happiness and distress are going to come of their own accord. Now, of course, that doesn't mean if we see a hungry person on the street and we have some prashadam that we don't, of course, we, but we try to, con another way to look at it is we try to connect our natural compassion. For, you know, if you see someone suffering, you want to help them, right? If someone's starving and you have a bushel of apples in your car, you know, you might want to give them some, right? But we want to connect it with spirituality. So instead of just feeding the homeless, we feed them prashadam something that will uplift them spiritually. And there are, you know, as we know, there's, gosh, who knows, thousands and thousands, right, of charitable organizations in this world. And it's always, I always find that, you know, they say in, in um, um, advertising that what is your, what is it, the USP, your unique selling point? So our unique selling point is, is spiritual advancement and spiritual knowledge. Right. If, if we only just feed people, we're, you know, we're just one of thousands of people that do that, but we feed people posadam. 
you know, uh, and we give people literature that can, you know, get them out of this material world. And we give them opportunities to take up bhakti or devotional service, which is the way to get out of the material world and return to a place of real happiness. So we have a certain take on compassion or charity, a spiritual take on it. And that, and, and we try to focus on that. And, but we can also, you know, a good, a good person has compassion when they see someone suffering. So we're not, so a devotee doesn't try to negate that or say, no, no, they're not their body. They're suffering. You know, it's tough luck. Just, but we try to find a way to give it, to um, provide that compassion in a way that they're all, that their soul is nourished. Does that make sense? Andy? Yeah. What other thoughts do you have on compassion? You're not feeling very compassionate today. Well, you know, I was I was thinking, and I've heard that if um, that if someone's a vegetarian, then they're not involved in the killing of the animals, so that it, it softens their heart and they have more compassion, and it would be easy. Like as Andy said, Andy became a vegetarian before he discovered the devotees. And so, if you if one is a vegetarian, it, it w- would it make them easier to be able to accept Krishna consciousness? Hmm. Yeah. So that's that's uh, that's nice if they're a vegetarian. It's I mean you know we know Prabhupada would he, he put things in perspective sometimes. You know he'd say, well, pigeons are also vegetarians. <laughs> um, and and so you know we didn't want devotees to be proud or think that they've accomplished some great feat by coming to the level of being a human being. <laughs> and at the same time, um, you know, he would tell someone like Peter Burwash, who had a lot of influence on society, you know, in some ways because of his uh, his position as a tennis pro and then a trainer of you know all kinds of famous people in the world. That you know, you make it your life's mission to preach vegetarianism. He's become very good at it. Also, you know, I'm sure some of us maybe have heard his presentations. Very powerful. It's been a while. I can. I, I, I'm thinking that it's been a while because at least one of his presentations, he used uh, one of those carousels with the what are those things called slides? You know, you know. So pre um, PowerPoint. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I remember seeing a presentation he gave at um, the Festival of Inspiration in New Vrindavan yeah. Um, yeah, more than a decade ago, perhaps. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So, so in these purports that I read today, especially the, one, the ones, the two from the fifth canto, Prabhupada is, is and it's contextual, right? It's about, it's about uh, Bharat Maharaj and the mistakes that he made. And so there he's very strong about making sure there's a spiritual element to our compassion. Otherwise, we can get into material consciousness, and we saw with Bart Marge, by Krishna's arrangement, he you know, had a fall down. Hmm. Anything else? Nandimuki, Sharadiya, Sudanda, anything? Prabhuji, I heard this example. It's like, um, let's say you have a vaccine for a disease, just like COVID. If you, if somebody researches a vaccine, they would naturally want to share the vaccine with others. In the same way, 
we know that Hare Krishna mantra and Krishna consciousness is the vaccine for the material problems of birth, death, old age, and disease. And so we would naturally would want to share it with others. Mm. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, the desire to, uh, what we use the word preaching, is so nat- it should be the nat- most natural thing. And what you're saying also, Suganda, is that it's inside out, right? It's, uh, you're feeling, you're feeling, for example, you're reading Prabhupada's books and you're feeling great, elevate, you know, great, your consciousness is elevated by that. And therefore the most natural thing is, oh, I want to give these books to somebody else. <laughs> right. You also put in this quote up from Prabhupada speaking to Bhakti Churu Maharaj, just offer this life to Krishna. For many, many lifetimes you have been trying to enjoy it. But you can see that you are still not satisfied. Just offer this life to Krishna and see what happens. Even if nothing happens, what is the loss? After all, it's just one life out of so many. <laughs> That's that puts you know things in such an interesting perspective, right? That, that would not be your average person's uh, view of the world. The Prabhupada didn't have the average person's view of the world. Yeah. Okay, then we can carry on. We're going to be reading quite a few translations because we're going up to uh, verse 32. Oh, wait, did we do 10? We have to do 10. Well, Prabhupada in 10 basically summarizes the spiritual vision that we're talking about. So we can, we can read that. Well, first we'll read the translation. This body, which is eaten by jackals and dogs after death, does not actually do any good for me, the spirit soul. It is usable only for a short time and may perish at any moment. The body and its possessions, its riches and relatives, must all be engaged for the benefit of others, or else they will be sources of tribulation and misery. And at the end of the purport, Prabhupada just writes the word, Upakuryat means para upakar, helping others. Of course, in human society, there are many institutions to help others. We talked about that, right? But because philanthropists do not know how to help others, their propensity for Philanthropy is ineffectual. They do not know that the ultimate goal of life, Shreya Art Sharanam, which is to please the Supreme Lord. If all philanthropic and humanitarian activities were directed towards achieving the ultimate goal of life, to please the Supreme Personality of Godhead, they would all be perfect. Humanitarian work without Krishna is nothing. Krishna must be brought into the center of all activities Otherwise, no activity will have value. Wow. So he's speaking very strongly there. And it's, it's, it's a challenging point because almost everybody will praise most really good humanitarian um, uh, philanthropic activities for the most part. And they may not see things in the same way when they see a devotee wanting to distribute books or a Sankirtan party, a Harinam party, walking through the streets of major cities, they might think like, what? You know, why don't they do something practical? Mm-hmm. And so a devotee has a different vision, right? Humanitarian work without Krishna is nothing. So like I've said in, in about the previous verse, we try to find some way of connecting even whatever humanitarian work we do with Krishna. We try to find that, we try to make that connection. Any thoughts on this? Yeah, I was just struck by um, the very clear assignment there when they said the body and its possessions. So if we're not our body or our possessions, and even our sentimental possessions, right, are really 
they all accrue to the body. They're not to us. Mm. And then when the body dies and you leave it, uh, everything's left behind and it was part of the body's kit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And some of us may have even had this experience. I know. So when my mom passed away, you know, my brother and I, we had to spend a week, you know, maybe four or five days in New York, just trying to, you know, figure out what to do with all her possessions. Right. From yeah. her, from her apartment. I remember we had to do the same thing when my grandfather died in Toronto. Um, he had two children. So I went with my brother and my mom up there and uh, my uncle went with his kids and we had to figure out what to do with all this. You know, what do we throw out? What do we, what do we auction off? What do we give away in charity? What do we keep for ourselves? Yeah. The saying goes, you can't take it with you, right? Yeah. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Isn't that in the Bible? But it all accrues to your body and nothing more. Right. Right. Yeah. And the, the, the interesting thing is the more that you, I can just speak from those two experiences, the more, the more you have, the more burden you've then given to your successors. <laughs> It's almost like a revenge, yeah. yeah. I'll have to clean out my place. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, you know, anecdotally, some of the best um, philanthropy can go astray. For instance, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, you know, was really concerned about malaria in Africa, which is actually a terrible scourge. And what they did is they distributed tens of thousands of mosquito nets, which who could argue with that? The, what a brilliant idea. But unfortunately, the people used the mosquito nets as fishing nets and created a huge ecological disaster because the mesh was so fine. It was collecting every fish and wiping out the fish like crazy. Wow. Yes. And I think we've, we've all experienced that in things in our life where we have one intention and a different result. And what's that saying? The, pay, the, uh, the path to hell is paved by what? By good intentions. Yeah. By good intentions. By good intentions. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's important to have good intentions. It's necessary but not sufficient. That's the point. Necessary but not sufficient. We also need to uh, be practical and and to make sure that our good in the, the activities that are connected to our good intentions will have a good result. Yeah. So yeah, I'm sure that must have been uh, hard on Bill and Melinda to have that happen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let us carry on. We're going to be reading a lot of verses. Maybe we'll do a little commenting so that we don't get lost. Text 11, Sri Sukadeva Goswami said, Dadichi Muni, the son of Atarva, thus resolved to give his body to the service of the demigods. He placed himself, the spirit soul, at the lotus feet of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and in this way gave up his gross body made of five elements. Dadichi Muni controlled his senses, life force, mind, and intelligence, and became absorbed in trance. Thus he cut all his material bonds. He could not perceive how his material body became separated from himself. Thereafter, King Indra very firmly took up the thunderbolt manufactured by Vishvakarma from the bones of Dadichi, charged with the exalted power of Dadichi Muni and enlightened by the power of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Indra rode on the back of his carrier, Aravata, surrounded by all the demigods, while all the great sages offered him praise. 
Thus he shone very beautifully, pleasing the three worlds as he rode off to kill Vritrasura. My dear King Parikshit, as Rudra, being very angry at Antaka Yamaraj, had formerly run towards Antaka to kill him, Indra angrily and with great force attacked Vritrasura, who was surrounded by the leaders of the demoniac armies. Thereafter, at the end of Satya Yuga and the beginning of Treta Yuga, a fierce battle took place between the demigods and the demons on the bank of the Narmada. And Prabhupada in the purport explains that this is a Narmada in the heavenly planets, not, not uh, or the higher planets, not the Narmada river that we're familiar with here. O king, when all the Asuras, all the Asuras came unto the battlefield headed by Vritrasura, they saw King Indra carrying the thunderbolt and surrounded by the Rudras, Vasus, Adityas, Ashvini Kumaras, Pitas, Manis, Maruts, Vibhus, Sadhyas, and Vishvadevas. Surrounded by his company, Indra shone as brilliantly as his, that, uh, so brilliantly that his effulgence was intolerable for the, uh, to the demons. Many hundreds and thousands of demons, demi-demons, yakshas, rakshasas, rakshasas, and others headed by Sumali and Mali resisted the army of King Indra, which even death personified cannot easily overcome. Among the demons were Namuchi, Sampara, uh, Anarva, Vi, uh, Muda, Vishab, Asura, Hayagriva, Sankushira, Vipaschita, Ayodmukha, Ayodmukha, Puloma, Prishaparva, Praheti, Haiti, and Utkala. Roaring tumultuously and fearlessly like lions, these invincible demons, all dressed in golden ornaments, gave pain to the demigods with weapons like clubs, bludgeons, arrows, barbed darts, mallets, and lances. Armed with the lances, tridents, axes, swords, and other weapons like Shatagnis and Bhushundis, the demons attacked from different directions and scattered all the chiefs of the demigods' armies. As the stars in the sky cannot be seen when covered by dense clouds, the demigods being completely covered by networks of arrows falling upon them, one after another, could not be seen. The showers of various weapons and arrows uh, released to kill the soldiers of the demigods did not reach them because the demigods acting quickly cut the weapons into thousands of pieces in the sky. As their weapons and mantras decreased, the demons began showering mountain peaks, (laughs) trees and stones upon the demigod soldiers. But the demigods were so powerful and expert that they nullified all these weapons by breaking them to pieces in the sky as before. When the soldiers of the demons commanded by Bhritrasura saw that the soldiers of the of Indra were quite well being uh, having not been injured by all their volleys of weapons, not even by the trees, stones, and mountain peaks, the demons were very much afraid. When insignificant persons use rough words to cast false angry accusations against saintly persons, their fruitless sa- words did not disturb the great personality. Similarly, all the efforts of the demons against the demigods who were favorably situated uh, under the protection of Krishna, were futile. So this is, uh, I like the beginning of this. When insignificant persons use rough words to cast false 
angry accusations against saintly persons. Their fruitless words do not disturb the great personalities. There's a lot of false words being spoken throughout the world today, isn't it? And sometimes aimed at saintly people. But those words should not disturb us or should not disturb great personalities. Okay, we're getting to 32. <laughs> the Asuras, who are never devotees of Lord Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, lost their pride in fighting when they found all their endeavors futile. Leaving aside their leader, even in the very beginning of the fight, they decided to flee because all their prowess had been taken away by the enemy. Seeing his army broken and all the Asuras, even those known as great heroes, fleeing the battlefield out of intense fear, Pritrasura, who was truly a great-minded hero, smiled and spoke the following words. According to his position and the time and circumstances, Pritrasura, the hero among heroes, spoke words that were much to be appreciated by thoughtful men. He called the heroes of the demons, Oh, Viprachita, Chitti, no, Viprachiti, O Namuchi, O Proloma, O Maya, Anarva, and Sambara, please hear me and do not flee. Vitrasuri said, All living entities who have taken birth in the material world must die. Surely no one in this world has found any means to be saved from death. Even providence has not provided a means to escape it. Under the circumstances, death being inevitable, if one can gain prom promotion to the higher planetary systems and be always celebrated here um, by dying a suitable death, what man will accept such, what man will not accept such a glorious death? In the purport, everyone, last two sentences, everyone should be ready to die while performing glorious deeds. A glorious person is not meant to meet death like cats and dogs. So there's a nice uh, exchange between Prabhupada and his disciples. I think it was 1976 in New York. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 1976. I, I actually, that's the, when I saw Prabhupada in New York. And Hari Sari Prabhu writes in his diary, he prepared to depart from the temple uh, at 6 p.m. for the evening flight to London. His GBC and senior men, however, came to petition him to remain in New York and rest until he got his health back. Some suggested that he retire from all travel and, and engagements for a few months. They said that even the airlines advise against traveling with a cold. Air conditioning and pressurized cabins have adverse effects, especially on the ears, which become blocked during descent. Having a cold makes it difficult to clear them, and the pressurization brings dizziness and sometimes air sickness. But his div divine grace politely shrugged aside all their suggestions as he waited by the elevator door. He stopped inside, surrounded by many sannyasis and GBC men, that could, as many as could fit in with him, and began the descent. He turned to them and said, with complete clarity and gravity, Quote, I simply want the benediction, like Arjuna, to fight for Krishna to the last breath. He said it with such con deep conviction that we all fell utterly silent in appreciation of his full surrender to the Lord 
and the great sacrifice he continues to make in his in the Lord in service to Krishna and the world's benefit. Hmm. So Prabhupada and Dadichi may have, you know, had some things in common, that willingness uh, or the, uh, what was it, the preparedness we talked about. Um, and so we all have to die. And so uh, talking about Peter Burwash, he, 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 he said, uh, he wrote a book and he said that he actually had an alternate, alternate, um, uh, title that he ended up not using, but he was thinking of it. And I think the title was something like the importance of the dash. Maybe we talked about this before, but let's, let's say I, I live to be, um, 80 years old. So that means I would pass away in, um, 2038. Okay. So. Um, I, you know, if someone would say, you know, quote me after, after I pass away and they say, Praja Bihari Das, uh, 1958 to 2038, there would be a dash, right, between those two numbers. And he said, the dash is what's important. The dash is what's important. What do you do between the time you're born and the time you leave this world, leave this body? And that's kind of what you know, Prabhupada, Prabhupada is saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm die, whatever, but let me perform glorious deeds while I'm alive, as this purport. Everyone should be ready to die while performing glorious deeds. Some thoughts on, on, what, on Prabhupada's example and the idea of the dash, etc. Well, I think it's something you should be prepared for. Cause, death? Yeah, because I, when I went to the Dakotas, they had a big plaque with a saying by Sitting Bull that you should have your death song ready and and sing it without fear, right? And that is a way to die. So, And it, here it mentions a trance. So if they had a nice process like that, it would be very good to have. <laughs> yes. yes. Were, you, were you there at the National Park where Sitting Bull was killed and all that? Yeah, yeah. I was there also. Yeah, yeah they had that for work actually. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's very, very spiritual for me. Yeah. yeah, it's a very interesting. Um, the way they was very tasteful the way they did it. Yeah, you you can drive around this park. You right? You did you stay in your car? Uh, no, you, we were. You walked. Yeah. yeah, you can also. I think because I was I was with a Native American who was just taking me on a little tour. And they'd show you all the different parts of the battlefield and, you know, who got killed there and who, you know. Um, but it was very, very tastefully done, yeah. Mm -hmm. Other thoughts on this? Being prepared to die. I guess, Prabhu. Yes, actually. Um, I missed a few minutes last week. I might not, you might said I might not heard. Um, so why there was no Narayana cover protecting them when they are trying to kill Vatrasura? Uh, because the previous demon um, was getting killed, and uh, Vishwakarma, uh, Vishwarupa gives Narayana Kavacha, right? And then, uh, for, and then you uh, kills him. Yes. 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 So uh, that is to protect against the demon. Um, and he's a Vatrasura, is also a demon. Why? <laughs> Why Indra was not utilizing that to protect? Well, uh, 
he may have lost the arm. You know, you could imagine that possibly the armor did not have the effect when the guru that gave it to you, you killed. <laughs> right? Like, you know, we, we, we can't even imagine killing our guru, right? But if we had, he gives us the Maha Mantra and then we kill him. You could expect the Maha Mantra to not be very um, open to purifying us. <laughs> right? You know, the, you know what I mean? Um, so I can't say that. But also the other point is that for reasons that, you know, only Krishna knows, he, he in the form of Lord, Lord Vishnu said, no, this is the way, your only way you're going to be able to defeat this demon, right? And that is to get the bones of the Dichi and have Vishwakarma make it into a thunderbolt. So, like that. So there may be two, two reasons there. Uh, Suvanda has put in the chat, one who has prepared for the life's final exam throughout their life they are not afraid of the exam and are fearless. For devotees, death comes like cats carrying the kitten. Nice. And Jay had written, um, Indra is mentioned in these verses as a great person. All the demigods are praising him. But wasn't he one that, yeah, wasn't he at fault in the first place? Yeah. Indra's a really, really hard person to understand. He, he keeps on doing really terrible things. He keeps on asking for forgiveness. And he gets Krishna's mercy, even though, you know, so he almost is such an impetus to so many different pastimes, right? Look at the, look at the lifting of Robert on the hill. Yeah, but, you know, and, and there's that verse, is that, Sudan, do you know where that verse is or where Prabhupada talks about it? That, you know, great people, are, great personalities are hard to understand and you, you shouldn't, be jumped to conclusions too quickly about them. Um, or maybe Raghunathan, or maybe some of the other devotees know where that is. It, it's mentioned in a number of places, but it's, it's actually, I believe, Bhagavatam quote. Is that okay, Shakshi There's two kind of reasons, there's two possible reasons there, right? That, you know, the Narayan Kabacha isn't going to protect someone who just killed the person who gave it, possibly. And then the other one being that Lord Vishnu gave a different music. Okay. Well, then we are almost done with this chapter. Verse 33. There are two ways to meet a glorious death, and both are very rare. One is to die after performing mystic yoga, especially bhakti yoga, by which one can control the mind and living force and die absorbed in thoughts of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The second is to die on the battlefield, leading the army and never showing one's back. These two kinds of death are recommended in the Shastra as glorious. So Vishwarupa Vitrasura is saying that he's suggesting the second death for for the Asuras and he's going to go for the first kind of death, right? Leaving the body in devotional service. Okay, so that is the end of that chapter. Hare Krishna. Yes, Nandamukhi Devi. I'm just thinking of the dash. The dash, okay. What do you want to think? What do you want to say about the dash? You no, it's to... just a joke, like a three minute dash. Oh, a three minute dash. <laughs> Very good, Nandamukhi. Your humor is so subtle that it doesn't uh, work on gross people like me. 
anything, <laughs> and I think, uh, uh, let me see, there's a few things. Raghunandana Prabhu wrote that the most striking thing to me in chapter 10 is Indra and the demigods going to a person and asking that person to die so that the bones can be used as a weapon to kill Ritrasura. Yes, if, and the fact that it was um, recommended by the Lord, right? <laughs> um, yeah, it's quite amazing. And Suganda has quoted um, two very similar things in Chaitanya Charitamrita, Vaishnavera Kriya Mudra Vigye Nabhujaya. One cannot understand the mind or the activities of the Vaishnava. But also, both knew what was going on. Of course... Um, Who knew what was going on? Both, uh, Krishna knew, of course, right? But the person who was being asked to give up his body knew exactly what was going yeah. on. Yeah. And the person who was going to be... The thunderbolts were going to be used against knew exactly what was going on. Yeah. So all these Vaishnavas knew what was going on. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And Dadichi's, um, you know, he left the world in yogi, by, by his yogic powers, which I've never read anywhere. I, I would assume that it's a different experience than, you know, the painful, painful experience that we talked about, you know, when fever is high and this, you know. Um, yeah, it's quite, he, he left it in a very amazing way, left this world. And he just chose to do it. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, so chapter 11. A very amazing chapter. I mean, Vitrasur is such an amazing devotee. So we are going up to verse 4. Sri Sukadeva Goswami said, O king, Vitrasura, the commander-in-chief of the demons, advised his lieutenants in the principles of religion. But the cowardly demoniac commanders intent upon fleeing the battlefield, were so disturbed by fear that they could not accept his words. O King Parikshit, the demigods, taking advantage of a favorable opportunity presented by time, attacked the army of the demons from the rear and began driving away the demoniac soldiers, scattering them here and there as if their army had no leader. Seeing the pitiable condition of his soldiers, Vritrasura, the best of the Asuras, who, who was called Indra Shatru, the enemy of Indra, was very much aggrieved. Unable to tolerate such reverses, he stopped and forcibly rebuked the demigods, speaking the following words in an angry mood. Oh, demigods, these demoniac soldiers have taken birth uselessly. Indeed, they have come from the bodies of their mothers exactly like stool. What is the benefit of killing such enemies from behind when they are running in fear, one who considers himself a hero should not kill an enemy who is afraid of losing his life. Such killing is never glorious, nor can it promote one to the heavenly planets. And Prabhupada writes in the purport, Brittrasura rebuked both the demigods and the demoniac soldiers because the demons were running in fear of their lives and the demigods were killing them from behind. The actions of both were abominable. And then a little later, Hmm. Prabhupada quotes Tulsidas because uh, you know the example that was given in the verse was that uh, you know that they're no better than stool. Um, and Prabhupada writes they both because stool and a son come from the abdomen. And then Prabhupada uh, quotes Tulsidas that uh, 
said a sun and urine both come from the same channel. Uh, same, uh, yeah. Well, here it's the canal channel, yeah, channel. Uh, and then he quotes uh, Chanakya, who says, what is the use of a sun who is neither glorious nor devoted to the Lord? Such a sun is like a blind eye, which simply gives pain, but cannot help one see. So, so both of these acts are bad in, in, in terms of material, uh, military etiquette, deserting and, and killing from the back. There, there are ground rules that are meant to be, you know, followed. And similarly, we have our rules, right? You know, the Chatriyas have their rules, their way of engaging in battle that, that, you know, upheld certain ethical standards. And we have our rules as, as devotees, you know, we talked about, you know, um, around gambling and sexual purity and, and what we, what we eat like that. And also things about truthfulness. So we have our, we have our rules of engagement, um, mind control, sense control, honesty, etc. So we don't want to, uh, be compared to urine or a blind eye, right? And so we want to endeavor very with great determination to follow the rules that we've been asked to follow. You know, the, the, uh, otherwise it's inglorious, just as an inglorious to be a deserter in the cut, you know, be a so-called Kshatriya and, and leave the battlefield. And what to speak of, you know, killing someone who is leading. That's another different kind of act of cowardice. Does anyone know that story from the, the, the past time? In the, I believe it's in the Mahabharata, but maybe it's somewhere else. I believe Prabhupada tells it somewhere about the king who returned from the battlefield and his wife would not let him inside the castle. Do you, are you familiar with that? Anyone? No one? Suganda, you're not familiar with something? Raghunandam <laughs> Prabhu, no? Can you repeat that Prabhuji and his wife did what? Well, I'll just, I'll just tell the story then. I, uh, it's very brief. That he had gone out for battle and he, uh, he left the battlefield and returned home. And so, uh, you know, he's, you know, the, the, there's a big gate in the castle and he calls up to his wife, you know, you know, you know, please open the gate. And she says to him, um, what, what happened? Uh, you must have won the battle. And he said, no, 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 we didn't win the battle. And she said, well, how could you have not won the battle and still be alive? For a Katria, you either win or you die on the battlefield. There's no third choice. So you must be an imposter. You must not be my husband. I'm not going to open the gate. Because my husband would never, would never return in defeat. He would either have died on the battlefield or have defeated the enemy. So that, my point is that's the Kshatriya code. So again, similarly, we have our codes. We, we are meant to be honest. We are meant to be clean. We are, and all the things that I had listed before. And we can, so that's what we can extrapolate from this, that just as Vitrasur was upset with both the demigods and the demons for not following their standards of life, 
we should try to follow our standards of life very meticulously. Some thoughts? There's an inconsistency in there because it says Vitrasura was the best of the Asuras. Then earlier it said Asuras are never Vaisnavas. So he wasn't really an Asura or something <laughs> right. is not consistent. Yeah, right, right, right. Yes. Yeah. He was the um, exception. I guess he wasn't really a demon at heart. He just. Uh, like, no, definitely. You know. Oh, we're, we're going to find, if we get to it today, I don't know if yeah, we get yeah. to it today. But no, he totally wasn't. <laughs> My gosh. He's such an inspiring devotee, inspiring for us. He's such a devotee. All right, then we will um, carry on. I think we're going up to 18 then, right? So that means we have to again read a bunch of verses. So, text five, oh, insignificant demigods, if you truly have faith in your heroism, if you have patience in the cores of your heart, and if you are not ambitious for sense gratification, please stand before me for a moment. Sukadeva Goswami said, Pritrasura, the angry and most powerful hero, terrified the de demigods with his stout and strongly built body. When he roared with a resounding voice, nearly all living entities fainted. <laughs> when all the demigods heard Pritrasura's tumultuous roar, which resembled that of a lion, they fainted and fell to the ground as if struck by thunderbolts. He was a seriously strong person. As the demigods closed their eyes in fear, Vitrasura, taking up his trident and making the earth tremble with his great strength, trampled the demigods beneath his feet on the battlefield the way a mad elephant tramples hollow bamboos in the forest. Seeing Vitrasura's disposition, Indra, the king of heaven, became intolerant and threw at him one of his great clubs, which which are extremely difficult to counteract. However, as a club flew towards him, Vitrasura easily caught it with his left hand. So not even with his right hand, you know, with his left hand. Oh, King Parikshit, the powerful Vitrasura, the enemy of King Indra, angrily struck the head of Indra's elephant with the, that club, making a tumultuous sound on the battlefield. For this heroic deed, the soldiers on both sides glorified him. So, yeah, the people had appreciation of a really good fight and a really good chachio. Right. <clears throat> struck with the club of, by Britrasura like a mountain struck by a thunderbolt, the elephant Aravata, feeling great pain and spitting blood from his, his broken mouth, was pushed back 14 yards. In great distress, the elephant fell with Indra on its back. When he saw Indra's carrier elephant thus fatigued and injured, and when he saw Indra morose because his carrier had been harmed in that way, the great soul of Vritrasura, following religious principles, refrained from again striking Indra with a club. So he followed Chatriya rules. Taking this opportunity, Indra touched the elephant with his nectar-producing hand, thus relieving the animal's pain and curing its in injuries. Then the elephant and Indra both stood silently. O king, when the great hero Vitrasura <coughs> saw Indra, his enemy, the killer of his brother, standing before him with a thunderbolt in his hand, desiring to fight, Vitrasura remembered how Indra had cruelly killed his brother. Thinking of Indra's sinful activities, he became mad with lamentation and forgetfulness. 
Laughing sarcastically, he spoke as follows. Sri Brittrasura said, I have Sri there, right? He who has killed a Brahmana, he who has killed his spiritual master, indeed, he who has killed my brother, is now by good fortune standing before me face to face as my enemy. O most abominable one, when I pierce your stone-like heart with my trident, I shall be freed from my debt to my brother. Only for the sake of living in the heavenly planets, you killed my elderly elder brothers. So he's showing what a Sakama devotee he was uh, in uh, Indra. A great, a self-realized, sinless, qualified Brahmana who had been appointed your chief priest. He was your spiritual master, but although you entrusted him with the performance of your sacrifice, you later mercilessly severed his head from his body the way one butchers an animal. Indra, you are bereft of all shame, mercy, glory, and good fortune. Deprived of these good qualities by the reactions of your fruit of activities, you are to be condemned even by the man-eaters, the rakshashas. Now I shall pierce your body with my trident, and after you die with great pain, even fire will not touch you. Only the vultures will eat your body. You are naturally cruel. If the other demigods, unaware of my prowess, follow you by attacking me with raised weapons, I shall sever their heads with this, this sharp trident. With those heads, I shall perform a sacrifice to Bhairava and the other leaders of the ghosts, along with their hordes. And But now, all of a sudden, <laughs> he has a change of heart, right? Isn't the, you know, the, the whole mood changes in verse 18, because after he kind of like vents like that, he starts to reveal his spiritual position. Okay. He starts to reveal his spiritual position. But if in this battle you cut off my head with your thunderbolt and kill my soldiers, O Indra, O great hero, I shall take great pleasure in offering my body to other living entities such as the jackals and vultures. I shall thus be relieved of my obligation to the reactions of my karma and my fortune will be to receive the dust from the lotus feet of great devotees like Narada Muni. So, a few things here. Because <clears throat> what's happening in these verses, 18, 19, 20, and 21, is that despite the previous challenging words, uh, Vichasur is starting to show his, his private intentions. He, he, he hopes, that, so what he, what he wants to do is he wants to uh, insult Indra so much that Indra will boil over in anger and forget his fear. And Vitrasur knows that he is to die, at, at, as we heard from Andy, he's, he's to die at Indra's hand. And so he wants to incite him to throw that thunderbolt. <laughs> Vitrasur is not actually Indra's enemy, but he's a, he's a great devotee who knows that Krishna has empowered Indra's thunderbolt to cause his death. And Vitrasura is definitely fearless. He sees death as his way of rejoining his Lord and his service. So we see here that the tone is now starting to change. And, 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 and Vitrasura is a little worried that he, in trying to incite Indra, he may have made him scared and doesn't want him to leave the battlefield. He wants him to kill, he wants Indra to kill him. Okay. So we're starting to see Mitrasura's devotion here. 
um, by his wanting great souls association. And he had Narda Muni's association. When did he have Narda Muni's association? Anyone know? Remember? And he was Chitraketu. Yes, Chitraketu. Very good. Who was the other Muni that was with Narda? Angira, yes, right. Yes. Angira? Right, yeah. Um, So he had Narda's association in a previous life and he wants it again. So what's what's interesting here also is the the contrast, the difference between Vitrasura's mood of service and Indra's mood of, you know, selfishly trying to protect his position in, in the heavenly kingdom, right? So Vitrasura, he has knowledge, obviously, and he's detached. And he even thinks about how his body will provide food for other living entities, right? The jackals and the uh, vultures. And Indra, in by, you know, in comparison, he's showing that he's really a Sakama Bhakti. He's performing Sakama Bhakti as material desires along with his mixed, you know, devotional service. He's looking for material comfort. He's looking for pleasure. And so, you know, he's, he comes off as something very different than Indra, than Vitrasura's purity, even though he's in the body of a demon. And so, you know, so this detachment that he's showing at the time of death is something that we can actually, you know, Take, take to heart and, and learn from also. It's very, you know, um, inspirational and instructive. Because when we die, we have to be detached from matter and attached to Krishna. That's what he's saying. I, I can give up this body, but I want to become attached to Krishna. And how do you do that? By serving the Vaishnavas. And therefore, he was asking Narada Muni's, Narada Muni's association. So some thoughts on this? Hare Krishna Prabhu. Yes, I've been approved. The mood of Vritrasura, even even when he is in a demoniac body, is very inspiring. Like he is always like fully focused on devotion to the Supreme Lord. And it's a, it's quite contrasting with the mood of Indra and the demigods. They are in the Sakamak Bhakta platform and they are looking up for me number one and my comforts, my heavenly kingdom, my heavenly pleasures thing. But Vritrasura is just kill me and get it done with. I want to get liberated and go to Narada Muni's association and the Supreme Lord's association, yeah. which is quite an amazing contrast. Yeah, yeah. And I really like that point you just made because Indra wants to go back to heaven and enjoy there and Vritrasura wants to go to the spiritual world. It is, it is a very interesting, it, it, any reader will see Vritrasura is a more exalted consciousness than Indra right here. So it also goes to show you can't judge a book by its cover. You know, you can't just because someone's, just like uh, with um, uh, Vibhishana in the Ram Leela. You know, he's, 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 a, he's an Asura and he wants to serve Lord Ram. Good yeah. point. Thank you for that. Anything else? My, my thoughts are like normally demons are in ignorance. Uh, in this case, Vatrasura, as Raghunandan Prabhu mentioned, I was really weird. I feel 
weird like how come he in, he can be in the mood of goodness and then speaking that to uh, um, that to like in a pure devotee like arjuna was so much bewildered at the time of war and he was confused and he was asking knowledge from krishna here like he was just openly speaking um, you know the truth uh, uh, and the understanding the god so i was like really um, you know I, i don't know is it an appreciation or something i was confused at that moment like what a big oh. difference here well you know krishna can give people just like what did he do he touched the conch to uh vishnu touched the conch to through his head right and then druva spoke so eloquently even though he was so young um is that right or was that nardamuni i can't sometimes get those two pastimes mixed up it was that's correct yes yeah um so you know yes yeah and we and that's one of the the really interesting thing so we know where richasura came from right he was chitraketu and he had the angira muni association narada muni association but he was just cursed to take that that body right so he you know so knowing the background is is um is really helpful in that regard so he really is a devotee and just because he took birth just like vlad maraj took birth in the maniac family also right and so did i <laughs> also it 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 glorifies bhakti it shows the potency of bhakti and it puts the spotlight fully on bhakti for yeah. the rest of us to just yep. appreciate how potent bhakti is yes yeah and he is truly a surrendered soul like he completely says god had made me like a demon and i'm just doing my duty so mm-hmm. really touching Yeah. Yeah. Very surrendered soul. Yeah, it's such a wonderful, you know, and we don't we don't have time but we'll cover the these last verses of this chapter next week and they're very very wonderful. I think I only gave you one to read but they they all have a lot of significance in them. So I think better to stop here and we will finish up this chapter early next week and then go on to uh hear about his glorious death right which is the next uh, chapter which is sort of glorious death yeah and then the next chapter oh my computer's going crazy so I, yeah okay so have a uh wonderful let's see today is the 20th 21st 22nd it's 22nd okay so then Um when we meet we'll be right at the end of Kartik next week. Yeah what what is the last day of Kartik? Does anyone know? It's 29th in my calendar Prabhu. So we'll be on the last day of Kartik. Which is a Purnami day yeah. Yeah. Purnima right? That's when it is in India so you have to check whether the full you know yeah moon is different here than in India. Yeah it's either the 29th or 30th. Do you know what it is yeah. in England Jay? It's on the 30th, on Monday. I think it's the 30th, but anyway, 30th to 29th. Um, it'll be, my point is, we'll be meeting right at the end. We'll be, it'll be part of Pan, Bishma Panchika, for sure. Like that. I'll try to behave myself. Yes, try to behave yourself. <laughs> very good. So thank you very much, Prabhu's, for your association. And uh, Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai. Shri Vritrasura ki jai. Shri Prabhupada ki jai. Hare Krishna.
Thank you, Prabhuji. Thank you. Thank you, Hare Krishna. Thank you. Thank you.